0: Hello and welcome to Extra Time, a web-only sports programme from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Stephen Houston. In the programme this week, we talk to Black Caps coach Mike Hessen on preparing the New Zealand cricket side for their Caribbean tour amidst the ongoing match-fixing saga. The Tall Blacks aren't giving up on Stephen Adams making an appearance at basketball's world champs, and the Reefton kid Phil Jones talks to us about his latest NBL record. We remember All-White's midfielder Duncan Cole, who was part of the 1982 World Cup squad and passed away in Auckland this week.
1: Cole,
2: Cole in turn, crosses it up for the header and that's end. That's 2-0! What a goal!
0: The Blacksticks prepare for the World Cup in the Netherlands and the lights are about to go on for cricket in Dunedin. The New Zealand cricket captain Brendan McCullum says he stands by his match-fixing testimony to the International Cricket Council and he has no regrets about it. This week, McCullum spoke publicly for the first time since what he told the ICC's anti-corruption unit was revealed by British newspapers. The Black Caps captain arrived home in Christchurch cutting short his time in the Indian Premier League to be with his wife for the birth of their third child. He says he still has confidence in the ICC's investigation and would do it all again, despite his testimony being leaked. In that testimony, he detailed an approach from a former player he described as one of his heroes, to fix a game in 2008. McCullum wouldn't say who that person was and says he knows he
1: did the right thing. The fact that it, that it managed to, uh, to be aired in, in public, I'm obviously disappointed about that, but there's nothing I can do about that now, so I guess from from my point of view, the dealings I've had with, with the group that uh, that I dealt with, I have confidence in those people, yes, how the leak happened, I'm unsure that the people I dealt with, have confidence in I'll continue to, to fulfil my obligation in the investigation.
0: McCullum says he's pleased he's spoken to the ICC's Chief Executive David Richardson in the wake of the leaks, and he's pleased Richardson has endorsed his actions as it takes courage for players to report a match-fixing approach and it's vital that players who do feel supported. McCullum concedes the saga has been stressful but says he'd tell Blackcap's Caps teammates to follow his example.
1: Still a long way to go I think so obviously it has been uh, a number of years but and, you know, the next little while will probably be quite tough as well. But you know, my role in there, and in the investigation is uh, is ongoing. So you know, I've just got to continue to, to go down that route. If one of the players would found themselves in the same situation, then I'd certainly encourage them to go down the same route that I've taken.
0: McCullum says he's had plenty of support from fellow players about
1: going to the ICC. There's a couple of circumstances which, which uh, have slightly tainted the game. But there's also a majority of, of the people involved in the sport uphold the, the traditions and the respect for the sport, which, uh, which everyone um, loves. And, and I'd hope that the fans would, uh, would continue to support the sport that everyone else is obviously trying incredibly hard at. And yeah, I've had a lot of support um, from a lot of people around the world.
0: The Chief Executive of New Zealand Cricket, David White, says his organisation hasn't received a copy of McCullum's testimony, despite the ICC's chair, Alan Isaac, saying each national body had been sent a copy.
3: I have spoken to Alan Isaac. Uh, he's apologised. The information is incorrect. We have not we have not received all the information. Have
0: you read Brendan McCullum's? No,
3: testimony? no, we have not received all the information. Did you receive uh, that, any that, information? Uh, the only information that we have received um, from the ICC is Lou Van Leave Vincent's testimony. That's all we've received.
0: The investigation's been going on for several years, and David White admits that's a worry.
3: If there is a criticism, it is about the speed of the process. We need to get this resolved for the the good of the game. What I think is a big risk for cricket going forward is actually not corruption around the international game. I think it's corruption around the domestic T20 competitions around the world. And uh, we, like uh, a lot of the other member boards, are looking very closely at um, bolstering up the resources around the controls for the domestic games to ensure that they are on par with the international game.
0: In Britain, the ICC has served an injunction against the Daily Mail newspaper in a bid to prevent further leaks of its anti-corruption investigation becoming public. Now the Black Cabs leave for the Caribbean tomorrow for a three-test series. Very Guy spoke to New Zealand coach Mike Hessen about their preparation and the impact the match-fixing investigations had.
4: We can prepare as well as we like uh, indoors in, in winter in uh, New Zealand or, or just you know, late autumn, but um, the first 10 days we have over there before the test starts is going to be critical for us to adapt to conditions.
5: So have you, have you tried to overcome that in some way? What sort of programs have you had everyone on?
4: Oh, look, we've we've have organised two warm-up games when we are over there, which is certainly a... A big improvement on what we've been able to get uh, in the past. So, as I said, those those two games will be critical, mainly for the guys that haven't been playing. Um, the guys that have been training in New Zealand, of which we have nine, um, you know, have been doing a lot of work with their either their first class coaches, their their mentors, or or the Black Cat staff that travel round. So, um, they've been doing a lot of strength and conditioning, and obviously part of that will be you know, being able to adapt to the heat, um, you know, aerobically and from a skill point of view, um, the guys are very clear about you know what we're likely to expect, so uh, they they've been training accordingly.
5: You touched on it. Uh, you had success here over the summer. You know what about going to the uh, Caribbean conditions?
4: All teams struggle away from home, and, and we're certainly no exception. So the West Indies uh, will certainly have a number of different players over there that, that didn't come over here. With you know Chris Gale um, will return, obviously um, you know Kamir Roach, who's uh, Jerome Taylor. Suleiman being these are guys that didn't come over here, but I would imagine will play some part in the Test series uh, in the West Indies. And I guess based on the, our, our previous effort there a couple of years ago, we you know we know we're going to have a barrage of spin, and it, it's going to be tough.
5: And what you achieved over the summer, you've moved up the rankings. Obviously, very important to keep that momentum going.
4: Oh, it is. But as I said, you know, winning away from home is incredibly difficult for everybody. and uh, if we're able to get a positive result over there, um, you know that'll be a huge achievement for this group. So, um, you know we're playing some good cricket. We have uh, in Test cricket, we've been consistent in terms of getting runs on the board. And uh, if we can get runs on the board again in the West Indies, I think we've got an attack that, that certainly can challenge uh, the West Indies.
5: You, you showed a lot of patience here. You know that's obviously going to be a key part over there as well.
4: Yeah, it will with both bat and ball, really. Um, with the bat, you know, with the ball won't come on with the pace that we're used to. So, scoring runs um, at a decent clip will be much harder, and, and obviously, having to adapt our games to those conditions. And with the ball, um, you know, we're not going to be able to run through sides. It is going to be a matter of uh, patience and um, sort of a war of attrition, and, and our guys are certainly uh, up for that.
5: So, those warm up matches, um, I don't want to say the word manipulate, but have you asked for certain things to get yourself? You know, straight into the local conditions, you know, certain bowlers that you'd like or that sort of thing? You oh, look,
4: it's, it's, uh, we're travelling away, so you certainly don't get those favours when you travel away. You get what you're given in terms of the opposition, but, um, you know, having seen the, the wicket block uh, in a photo a few weeks ago, there's not a lot of grass on it. So um, anything they front up will be, you know, a good challenge for us. And as I said, just adapting to the heat, adapting to the conditions will be, um, you know, will be stiff enough competition for us
5: and so uh, still talking about uh, spinners is it time now for ish soldi to make his mark
4: well i mean he's played all his tests on wickets that haven't really turned so um you know he'll be really looking forward to playing on surfaces that will provide him with a bit of turn and bounce um and if they do that then i'm sure he will uh will put the west indies under pressure
5: and the fact you're playing three tests that's good
4: it's nice cause we we played the west indies in three over here and and that was you know a, a good series um, and as I said, I'm sure it'll be pretty even over there and, and three tests is a is a good chance to, to get a fair winner.
5: What what distractions has it been for you, for players, uh, preparations for the tour, that sort of thing, uh, of what's been going on in the media in recent days?
4: Well, I mean, I mean it's been a horrible week for cricket, um, you know, throughout the world and, and obviously in New Zealand as well. So, But in terms of our preparations, we haven't certainly let it detract from that. We know exactly what we're trying to do. I think it's been made... Extremely clear that there are no black caps involved in any form of investigation. No current black caps. No black caps games are being investigated, and, and no games being played in New Zealand. So, you know, we can only look after the group that we're operating with at the moment. And there's some very um, thorough um, back checks and balances in place to make sure that um, that nothing out of the ordinary happens.
5: So, I'm sure, as you said, it's on the minds of current players. Though, um, is there anything needed to sort of minimise any effect that might have on them?
4: Oh, like I said, it, it it doesn't directly involve them. I mean, we're talking about you know historic events that these guys were not part of. So um, they are, you know, as I said, with the anti-corruption unit and the way the ICC work now, um, these players are under no illusions as to what their responsibilities are. Um, you know, we have anti-corruption people at every game, um, and we have very clear checks and balances in place to make sure that um, you know nothing untoward happens. So if there's any form of suspicious behaviour, they know they have to deal with it.
5: So you don't think it's a, a, an issue um, today?
4: Well, no, not with our current group. No, I mean, um, as I said, it's always an issue in terms of. If, but if there's any suspicious behaviour, the players are under no illusions as to what their responsibilities are, and, and certainly um, they know how to deal with it. And the current environment is incredibly aware of what the expectations are, um, to a point where um, you know players have become a little bit paranoid to reporting any form of contact with anybody. Um, It gets to a point where if somebody approaches you, you, in some ways you have to be rude, because you you can't, if someone wants to go up and talk to you, you you feel yourself, um, you could be exposed. So the guys know exactly what to report and what not to. Um, You know, as I said, there are players, officials areas, we have regular meetings with anti-corruption. You know, the players, as I said, are well aware, and as I said, no current black caps are under investigation. So... Um, No Black Cat games are under investigation. I'm not quite sure how much clearer I can make it, really.
0: That's Black Caps coach Mike Hessen talking to Barry Guy. Basketball New Zealand is still holding out hope that standout NBA rookie Stephen Adams will still be available for the Tall Blacks at the upcoming World Cup. The Rotorua-born Adams has made an impressive start to his NBA career this season with the Oklahoma City Thunder. They've reached the Western Conference Finals effectively the semi-finals of the NBA. But it's been reported that the seven-foot centre will likely now opt out of the upcoming World Cup in Spain. Part of the problem appears to be one of communication, as the chief executive of Basketball New Zealand, Ian Potter, told Ben Robertson.
6: We haven't been able to talk to Stephen directly, and Stephen has, of course, he's surrounded appropriately uh, by uh, the Oklahoma um, coaching and management group and then uh, ar- around that of course are his agents so it's not really possible to get through those layers sort of anytime we like. We have been talking with his agents in the last couple of weeks but they said to us that of course this is a very stressful time for everyone trying to get through to the finals and that no decision is available at this time that we have to get through the season and then that decision will be made, which is good. It's good that they've sort of kept us in the loop to that extent but I guess I have a concern that we would like to be able to put the options to Stephen and Oklahoma City Thunder around Stephen's availability and I'm not sure that we've been able to do that as well as we'd like so far.
7: Just looking at where the the World Cup falls, it's in Spain this year at the end of August and it wouldn't seem to clash with the NBA at all, so so technically, he'd be available.
6: Yes, his teammates are playing. Like he's got two or three, uh, two teammates that are going to be in the US sides, and of course we'll be playing the USA. So he would be playing against a couple of his teammates should he be available. So it's not the timing, I think, and I, I understand this. They will have Stephen on some, you know, sort of development program that some work on for him. It's only the end of his first year, and he's while he's done phenomenally well he will have some work on that they will want him to address. And I think we need to, ideally, we need to be able to be talking to them and Stephen about how we can help that development happen rather than leave it to that development to happen, you know, in the US by himself.
7: So you mean trying to incorporate his NBA development into the national setup?
6: Yes. So if they say, well, whatever his development needs are, if, they ident- if we're able to talk to them and identify what they are, we can make sure that those development needs can be uh, brought into the Tall Blacks camp and brought into their you know, preparation and playing program. And also we'd like to think that playing in the World Cup, playing against the best basketballers in the world, uh, while the NBA of course has, has a lot of the world's best basketballers that they don't have a monopoly on them and some of the other countries in the European League have some really great basketballers and in our view it, it would add to Stephen's development if he was able to play in the World Cup but I guess we need to be able to put that view to Stephen and the Oklahoma coach and management and uh, negotiate some options.
7: What are Stephen's obligations to New Zealand basketball? Are there any?
6: Well, there's a theory that players are available for their countries to represent their country at World Cup time. But, of course, there's theory in practice. And in practice, they're his employer. They're the ones that are paying his wage. They're the ones that have his development needs at the centre of their thinking. And, you know, we don't pay the tall blacks. The tall blacks volunteer to be tall blacks. So, yeah, theory and practice aren't always the same thing when it comes to global basketball.
7: So you can't require him to play.
6: No, not really. That wouldn't be a that wouldn't be you know something that we'd try to enforce anyway. We want to try to develop a relationship with Stephen's employers that has him available on those occasions that are most important to New Zealand basketball, not just any time we want to get him. At this stage, we'd love him to be available for the World Cup because the next World Cup's not for another five years because they're changing the sequence. So you know, it's a long time before. He's going to have another opportunity to play in a World Cup for New Zealand, so we'd like to talk to them about that as well, and as say not just ask for him every time we, you know, on a whim.
7: Is that relationship proving difficult to establish?
6: Yes, it, yeah, it is. To be honest, to have that sort of open and regular communication with the Thunder or with Stephen, they are very focused on, you know, their game and their league and you know their goals. And as I said, it's fair enough, it's been difficult for us to be part of that conversation and we'll have that conversation with them. We do communicate with his agent and in fact our coach has been communicating with their coaching team. But, you know, to be honest, it's probably a little bit disjointed and it, well, I'm starting to wonder whether we, we need to get somebody over there to try to have a, a meeting with them all around the table so you're not talking to different parts of the equation we have been trying to be respectfully standoff, not stand offish, but respect what's going on at their end, and, and of course we do, but I think maybe over the next couple of weeks as their season comes to a close, and before they make a decision, it would be really useful if we could sit at the table with them and say, well look, here are the options, and hear what their concerns and needs are, and see how we can work that into our programme.
0: That's the Chief Executive of Basketball New Zealand, Ian Potter, talking to Ben Robinson. Now, still with basketball, the Reefton kid, Phil Jones, will set a National Basketball League record tonight when he plays his 362nd game for the Nelson Giants. Jones, who's now 40, recently set a record with one club of 350 games for the Giants, who'll travel to Palmerston North to play the Manawatu Jets. Jones will now overtake the American-born Ford Willie Burton's record of 361 NBL games. Jones is retiring at the end of the current season, after 19 seasons spent playing with the Tall Blacks, in the Australian League with the New Zealand Breakers and the Kent Taipans, and also in Europe, as well as the NBL, of course, where he made his debut in 1993. Jones told Richard Wayne the milestone will be somewhat bittersweet, though.
8: Taking it away from someone like Willie Burton you know, is pretty humbling. He's had a really great career in the NBL, and a uh, you know, takeaway, uh, I suppose, recognition from him for that. It's pretty good, it's pretty cool, you know, long time coming, it's been playing for a while.
9: And I think you're 40 now, is that right?
8: That's right, yep, turned 40 at the beginning of the year.
9: suppose I can call you old, although I'm older than you, how's the old body holding up?
8: Um, yeah, it's good. The odd aches and pains, the knee's sort of, you know, grown a little bit, but, um, you know, surprisingly reasonably good from the amount of miles that it's uh, done and the hours of time it's spent on the court. Yeah, if you talk to any basketball who's been playing for 20 years, they'd they'd be lying if they didn't say they were a little bit sore from time to time. But you know, I feel pretty good.
9: Where do you think the NBL sits in the competitions that you've played in? Because you've played in Europe, you've played in the Aussie NBL, and obviously you've played international. Where do you think it sort of fits, and, and how how's the standard of our local? You know mainly amateur, I suppose, uh, semi-professional NBL compared to the other leagues?
8: Yeah, I suppose if I had to rank them amongst all the leagues that I've played in, so if I had to rank them internationally, European, Aussie, and then New Zealand, it would be towards the, the lower end. I think international basketball is probably the peak. Um, and then Europe definitely is, is Europe and Australia are probably on a par. And then you know New Zealand would be, um, wouldn't be would be too far away from that sort of lower level teams in the Aussie and the European um, leagues. Do you
9: think it's doing okay, considering the lack of funding? Uh, you know, the, I suppose even sponsorship in, in, in the domestic game compared to even the Aussie NBL.
8: I think you know the people who get behind the New Zealand NBL and actually make it work, and the you know the teams and the you know I know for the Giants, for example, we've got a fantastic group of people that get behind us and you know basically find the funding for us, and the community gets behind us. You know, I think without those people, teams would just drop off the map. So. You know, it would be fantastic to have a big naming rights sponsor to the competition so the competition could be a bit stronger. It would be awesome to be able to get TV involved again, but, um, you know, we've still got to be able to produce a product that people are going to sit down and watch. And, you know, the level of talent is growing, I think, but we need to make sure that it keeps growing a bit more before we can get the TV involved again.
9: And I'm sure you'd be a fan of the Aussie NBL, you know the the fact that we got a team in there and and, and playing in that league. But does does that sort of also, I suppose it's the same thing for the, like the local rugby league, isn't it? It sort of maybe detracts a little bit from the local domestic
0: competitions.
8: When you're losing your sort of top echelon of players through sort of stand down periods, or you know you got the Aussie NBL and the guys, you know teams might be making it into the finals, and there's a bit of an overlap there. So you're finding that teams are without you know their top players for maybe the first two, three, maybe four weeks of the season. Because the New Zealand league's so short, You know, losing, missing out on, say, four or five games in a season, it, it can really affect the overall outcome of, of your season and, and could put you in a real difficult position later on in the season when you really have to win games. Um, so, yeah, the bit of the overlap there, I think a, that does have a bit of an effect on the New Zealand NBL there's a lot behind lo- like the logistics of running the league and availability of gyms and you know different things like that so I'm not sure whether it's just a, an easy fix I think be, there would be a lot behind actually trying to change the timing of the season maybe putting it a little bit later but, but then that's going to run into the international scene so the organisers of the New Zealand the NBL might be a little bit hamstrung about you know, how much room we've got to move on.
9: I guess uh, if they could somehow you know get the jigsaw working together that'd be uh, an outcome you'd applaud?
8: It'd It would give guys an opportunity to play all all year round and make it a profession. There's a certain level of players that play in the Aussie NBL that that, uh, could be called professional. But if you could just bolster it with a little bit of income from New Zealand NBL as well, that would make it even that much sweeter and and, make it an absolute full-time job.
0: That's Phil Jones talking to Richard Wayne. And Jones says he'll evaluate just what his involvement in basketball will be after he retires. Though coaching's probably out of the question.
2: Mackay plays the ball back to Cole. Cole in turn crosses it up for the header, and that's end! That's 2 0. What a goal! Duncan Cole put that ball across, and that's the ball game. Grant Turner, dangerous all day, and that's finally. It
0: ranks called. among one of the most important goals in New Zealand football history. It helped the All Whites beat Australia and advance on the road to Spain. And the side's first appearance at a World Cup finals in nineteen eighty two. Integral to it was midfielder Duncan Cole, who died suddenly in Auckland earlier this week at the age of fifty five. He's the first member of that World Cup squad to pass away. Ben Robinson spoke to goal scorer Grant Turner about Cole's career.
7: I guess that, that must have sparked a few memories, that, that commentary, that that goal that deprived Australia of passage to the to the World Cup. It,
10: it... It brought a number of memories through and you know, a number of them emotional after the passing of Duncan. The um, the goal was special but the whole build up and everything, the cross was special everything was special about that and you know, special people were involved in it.
7: What are your memories of, of Duncan the player?
10: I've got so many memories of Duncan. I had eight good years with Duncan. We retired in the same year. We were internationals during that period at the same time and I've got many memories of Duncan on and off the field, and they're all great memories. They're fantastic memories as a person, as a bloke, as a friend, as a man, as a player, and something that we will will very much cherish.
7: What was he like as a man?
10: Fantastic. Level-headed. Always had a laugh. Always very helping. Um, As a player, he was an an exceptional player with, with skills, with feet, head, strong, good tackler. Everything that had an attribute, and that was consistent right through his career from when he started international, right through until he retired, and then later on in his club football as well, and in his life.
7: How did he get the moniker Dependable Dunk? He never let anybody
10: down. The only way you get that, that name is by never letting anybody down, whether he was on the field or off the field. That was dunks. That's the way, that's the way he treated people, uh, and that's the way he was as a person.
7: I guess he'll, he'll be remembered for that goal and as being part of the 82 campaign. How important was he to getting New Zealand to that World Cup?
10: Everybody was important, and Duncan was very important as well. We had a midfield that was operating then as a young midfield, and, and Duncan was a huge part of that and a massive part of the team uh, overall. Uh, he It's really hard to explain in words uh, the way Duncan was because he never, ever at any stage, look to, for thanks or anybody to uh, to hold him in high regard. He was just one of those type of people who just went about doing his job and did it really well.
7: Is there something about the way that he played, the man that he was, that perhaps is lacking from New Zealand football today?
10: If we had 11 people like Duncan Cole playing for New Zealand, we would be world stars. Duncan Cole had all the attributes, as I said, Athletic, strong, fast, powerful, and they're just a number of things. There's a few. There's only a few things that I could think of that, about Duncan. Duncan and I had some very good times on Wednesday nights. When you know, obviously, I spoke with Bobby Arman this morning, and Bobby, we were talking about it. And because you know, I remember on Wednesday nights, Bobby, that me and Bothy and Duncan used to sneak out. Our curfew was on Wednesday nights, but Duncan and I and Bothy would sneak out and have a couple of beers on a Wednesday night. Uh, nobody knew about that until now um, if John found out I, probably, wouldn't have, I would, probably won't play the next game but I've got some great memories of Duncan some fun times football wise as well as off the field
7: Do you know why he used to wear the white beads? No, never found that out and he used to
10: get some stick about it as well
7: Steve Sumner told me that there's a rumour afoot that perhaps the the All Whites might wear white beads next week against South Africa do you think that would be a fitting tribute?
10: Yeah, I think it would be a fitting tribute. I think the fitting tribute for Duncan will be for us to be there, and a number of us will be there. As as a team, we were very tight. We were a team with people um, that are very close, and to us, it feels like we've lost our family member.
0: That's former All-Wides Grant Turner talking to Ben Robinson about the career of former All-Wides Duncan Cole, who passed away this week. The New Zealand men's hockey coach Colin Batch has named an experienced and settled squad to compete at next month's World Cup in the Netherlands. It's an unchanged lineup from the team which won five out of six games at the recent Champions Challenge tournament in Malaysia. The team is led by experienced veterans Dean Cousins and Phil Burrows, who have both played more than 300 tests, while nine other players have played more than 100 Phil Burrow spoke to Alex Coogan-Reeves about the makeup of the squad.
11: It's important um, we have the experience, but also we have the youth. But also, I mean, those young guys have got a lot of caps under their belt now, so it's a really experienced side. Like, we don't have any really new, new guys. We've got guys about to play their 50th, their 100th, and they're only, you know, 25 or so. And Charles E, he's, only, he's playing his 200th, and he's only, I think, it's 25. So, yeah, it's a good group of guys.
12: Seems like in uh, international hockey now, it doesn't take long for guys who are playing so many matches that they do get experience quite quickly. Yeah, I
11: think um, we're ranking up maybe 25 to 30 on average a year now, which is quite a lot. I mean, I know way back there was probably only maybe 10 max, but now, yeah, you can certainly crank up a lot of games. And this year is no different. With We just got back, then we got the World Cup, then the Commonwealth Games afterwards, and then there's a series at the end of the year. So, yeah, there's 30 games, I think, this year or something like that.
12: From your experience, what sort of changes when you get to a World Cup compared to some of the other sort of lesser tournaments you play played?
11: Yeah, World Cup is always a lot more pressure, a lot more media, a lot more uh, attention on it. You know, you need to perform well because everyone's looking at you. And for us, you know, funding's a big thing so we need to perform well at um, key tournaments and this is one of them. But yeah, we're looking forward to getting over there and uh, hopefully we can do better than people think.
12: And I guess um, being in the Netherlands, quite exciting, a country that really embraces its hockey. Yeah,
11: they do. I mean, I've played nine seasons there and they just, they absolutely love their hockey and it's going to be supported so well. The the setup. up we've been getting photos already coming through and it looks amazing and it will be supported well. I mean, there's going to be plenty of support there but when we play the Dutch in that last game, it's just going to be complete madness. Like some of the guys wouldn't have experienced it before, so it's going to be a great occasion.
12: Yeah, you know, I guess for guys like you and some of the others that have played over there what do you sort of say to some of the younger guys that haven't sort of experienced you know, like that yeah. sort of football atmosphere yeah. I think
11: the key thing first is to get over the travel and recovery like we arrive on the 23rd play on the first so we've only got like kind of 8 days to really so we need to get that sorted and then focus on that but I mean it's, the thing is enjoy it you know try and try and put it to the side and just play your game i know it's tough but it's so much fun as well you know have 15,000 people screaming it's always yeah it's good fun
12: and just looking at the games that you've got obviously you start with korea and play south africa so don't don't how important are those sort of two early games given how hard the other three teams in your group yeah. are going to be
11: so korea is definitely a target you know, we want to get off on the front foot um korea south africa argentina those first three we well, yeah, we want to target nine points but I think if we got seven points from those first three it would be great and then the next two you know Germany and Holland you know you've got to play well if you're going to take points off them but those first three games are really important for us that we get points and then try and finish off towards the end. Those first games certainly the the biggest focus but you know we can't just focus on that we have to we know i have got games after that but I think we're targeting seven, seven, seven to nine points would be pretty good after three games. The Black
0: Sticks will play Korea, South Africa, Argentina, Germany and the Netherlands in pool play at The Hague. Dunedin's premier cricket ground, the University Oval, is set to add lights and new grass banks under pressure from the sports officials and television broadcasters. Cricket Otago is about to start raising the $2 million needed to add permanent lighting and the seating for 2,000 more fans. But some are questioning just why the community should pay. Here's
2: our Otago reporter Ian Telfa. Dunedin's university ovals an old-fashioned strip of pastoral green being dragged into the 21st century business of sport. It already has an electronic scoreboard and a modern media box, and now it's getting lights. Cricket Otago's chief executive, Ross Dykes, says there's no way around it. To hold on to international
12: cricket, and we've done well to get what we've got, we have to have lights. Not only is cricket now being played more at night, Certainly in one day in twenty twenty games are, but we've also got to fit in with the viewing audience in Southeast Asia. The Indians, the Sri Lankans, the Pakistanis. You know, we if we're broadcasting at night, they're awake. If we're broadcasting at eleven o'clock in the morning, they're not.
2: Ross Dykes says new grass banks will also be added to the back half of the ground to justify the lights, increasing the regular capacity to five and a half thousand people, and a maximum of eight thousand. Otago Cricket was stung into action when last season its 2020 team topped the competition but was forced to play its final in Hamilton because Dunedin didn't have the lights demanded by the broadcaster Sky Television. The president of the Dunedin Cricket Association, Tony Buchanan, says the Hamilton incident
10: hurt. From a personal point of view, I just thought that in some ways cricket maybe bent over a little bit too much towards the broadcasters and the like. Um, but again, yeah, costs are important, but I, yeah, it's definitely very disappointing that, um, that we didn't actually get either the semi-final or final down here.
2: Cricket Otago freely admits it can't expect any council funding, and raising $2 million will be a stretch. A professor of physical education at Otago University, Steve Jackson, says the local sport's caught between a rock and a hard place. I can see from a a cricket fan's uh, point of view that would be fantastic and Dunedin would would love to have these things, but um, perhaps, and it would sound a rather strange thing in the contemporary business world, but perhaps we need to change the formula so that if the ICC and Sky TV want access to a place like Dunedin and its facilities, they should have to pay for it. There's another factor at work too. Christchurch's post-earthquake replacement ground, Hagley Oval, is also planning for lights, though Canterbury Cricket doesn't know when it will be able to afford the $8 million price tag there. Its chief executive, Lee Germon, says Dunedin is doing the right thing. don't know
4: if we'll ever see day-night test matches at Dunedin or Christchurch in the near future, but they are being mooted. So all of those factors help to keep the uh, cricket wheel going round
10: and help generate the revenue, and we need to be cognisant of that and, and do all we can to be part of it.
2: Sky Television's not responded to a request for comment. Cricket Otago says it wants the lights in place next year after the Cricket World Cup. That's Ian Telfer
0: with that report. And that brings us to the end of Extra Time for another week. Remember, if you wish to contact us, you can email us at sport at radioNZ.co.nz. On behalf of the Extra Time team, I'm Stephen Hewson. Bye for now.
7: Botox Cosmetic, out Toxin A. FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for
11: you.